Hello, and welcome to Syngap Stories, hosted by me, Ashley Fry. Every couple of weeks, I try to spread information and awareness about a rare disease that affects my son, Nathan. It's called Syngap 1. I chat with parents, siblings, caregivers, and others about the challenges and successes of their journey with someone impacted by Syngap 1. I hope you enjoy today's conversation. Hello and welcome to Syngap Stories. My name is Ashley Fry, and today we have the distinct honor and pleasure to speak with Mike Gralia. He is also a Syngap dad. I should say also, I'm not a Syngap dad. I'm a Syngap mom, but Mike is a Syngap dad and co-founder of Syngap Research Fund, also known as SRF. Mike, thank you so much for being here and chatting with me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Ashley. Yes, absolutely. So we, um, many of our audience will know you and be familiar with you already, but can you tell me um, a little bit about Tony? Tony is your Syngapian. He's seven years old. Tell me a little bit about him. What's he like? He's great. He's got a big heart and he's just a little seven-year-old boy who wants to play and run around and connect with people. And unfortunately he has Syngap. So connecting with people is hard. And, uh, Sometimes it's really hard, but for the most part, Tony is, you know, big, strong boy whose teeth are kind of off. Tony, our, I don't know. Some of our kids are, their teeth get a little wacky a little early. Mm-hmm. So to, you know, you look at Tony and you, you could think, oh, he's, he's just another kid. And then when you see him try to walk or walk around, you see his gates a little off and then you see his teeth are a little off and then he'll try to talk to you and the words will come out sort of confused and repetitive. And that's when people start to figure out something's up with this kid. Right. Um, but he's got a heart of gold and he just wants to connect. And when he's regulated, meaning when his emotions and his, all his levels are good, he's, he's pretty, he's pretty cool to hang out with when he's dysregulated, when he's angry or upset or frustrated, it can be pretty, it can be pretty intense. Um, our, our kids have, um, my son, Tony has a lot of aggression when he gets frustrated and mm-hmm. it's, and that just bubbles out in punching and scratching and biting and running away and eloping and so many things. And it's really, really hard um, because I love him and you've got to protect yourself and you got to protect him and you got to protect his little brother. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also have to not take it personally because it's not Tony. It's just this terrible disease called Syngap that's causing these problems. Right. Tell me what is what is something that Tony loves? What is he into? He loves a lot of stuff. Um, he loves cars. Mm-hmm. Right now, he loves numbers. There's a show on Netflix called Number Blocks that totally just caught his imagination, and he loves numbers. He loves his brother. He loves he loves the whole family being together. Whenever we divide up, someone goes to work, or when his brother goes away, it's really upset. Yep. Like all Syngapians, yeah. he loves water. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he's just a little boy. He loves what little boys love. But the obsessions du jour are um, cars and, and numbers. Yep. I hear that. Tell me what the road to diagnosis looked like for Tony. It was what I consider to be the pretty average one. So from zero to two. Tony had global developmental delays. We knew something was up. We didn't know what. Mom was very worried, as moms are. Dad was like, oh, it's not a big deal, which I think is, you know, it was definitely what I was doing, but what I've seen a lot of dads do, kind of minimize it and hope it'll get better because we're not sure what else to do. Mm-hmm. Between two and three, um, we saw some seizure activity. Uh, uh, most Syngapian seizures are silent seizures, absent seizures. You can't see them. You don't know where they're happening. They're really easy to miss. 
but on a bad day because of the flu, because of exhaustion, because of whatever, um, our kids do get tonic clonic seizures. And so Tony had a tonic clonic seizure and that led to neurologists and hospitals and epilepsy doctors and, mm -hmm. um, an epilepsy diagnosis. And when you have an epilepsy diagnosis in a kid, well, in anyone, honestly, but unfortunately right now it's mainly in kids that leads to genetic testing. So right. right around three, we started genetic testing. Our kids present like fragile X kids, which are confirmed via a test called CMA or chromosomal microarray. So we did a CMA, which was a nice way to waste a couple months. And then we did uh, <laughs> epilepsy panel, which is a more uh, sort of the next line. It's right. just looking at 400 known genes that cause epilepsy. It's not the best. The best would be whole exome, but it's mm -hmm. what we did next. And that came back with a maybe. So they found a mutation on Syngap, but they weren't convinced that it caused disease based on where it was. You mean they and found then, a maybe on the epileptic panel, correct? Maybe on the yeah. epilepsy panel, right? So it's like, hey, you got something on Syngap, but we're not sure that this typo causes mm -hmm. disease because not all typos cause disease. And to figure it out, we had to do another test called RNA sequencing. I'll tell you my story there. So the, the, the genetic counselor, who's now a friend, called me up and said, Mike, we need to do one more test. And I had, at this point, I'd had so many tests, like not just the two I told you about, so many different tests and procedures. Mm -hmm. and all. I was like, this is, I'm so sick of these tests. I said, every time I do a test, it costs an extra digit. I don't, you know, it takes time. I got to squeeze blood out of this poor kid. Mm -hmm. Like we're going to the hospital to try keto because we were trying keto for Tony's epilepsy because right. um, with the side, with, with the drugs, we were getting, you know, minor improvement in seizures and maximum side effects. And I was like, right. we're just going to try keto. And thank God the genetic counselor said, well, if you're going to the hospital for five days, because that's how you start keto here in America, mm -hmm. um, we can just order the test while you're in the hospital and it will just go in your hospital bill. And you just, it'll just be part of that big bill that your insurance deals with. And I was like, right. wonderful, do it. <laughs> and so that, I mean, that would have been a $10,000 test. And, and that's how we got, that's how we confirmed that Tony had, um, uh, the, the typo in his Syngap gene was causing disease. And that's what led to uh, Tony being a Syngapian. And that's what led to Ashley and I saying, well, what can you do? And who's funding research? And no one was funding research. And so now we have SRF. Right, right. So after you got that Syngap 1 diagnosis, how did that either clear the path for you? How did it make things easier? Or what did having that diagnosis mean for you and Tony? It meant... Those are, so those are two big, big questions. So for Tony, it meant we knew what we were dealing with, right? We could stop wasting time saying what's wrong and we could start spending time saying, how do we help? And right. the answer to how do we help is talking to other family, other, other people who've had this, have this disease and understanding which, which drugs work, which drugs didn't, who's getting therapy, who knows what they're talking about, mm -hmm. when to fire your doctor, these sorts of things. And that was huge. Um, right. For mom and dad, I think it meant two things. One, we weren't, at least two things. One, we weren't losing our minds anymore being like, what's wrong with us? Mm -hmm. What did we do wrong? Did we do something wrong? What's wrong with this kid? He's kind of got epilepsy, but not really. He's kind of got autism, but not really. He's kind of slow, but not really. He's kind of verbal, but not really. like, what the hell is going on? Like, which club do we belong to? Where right. can we go for help? It's exhausting. And when you have the diagnosis, that exhaustion goes away. Um, number two, we could connect with other parents. So back mm -hmm. to I'm losing my mind my kids not like other people's kids suddenly you know through through just googling and connecting with people we found other parents who who could talk to us and, and right. help us understand what they've been through and how to deal with this and then three we got to do something about it right we all want to help our kids when you don't know what's wrong with your kid you don't know where to send money you don't know how to help you don't know which researcher to support you don't know which studies to sign up for and then with us we realized there really wasn't 
a functioning group committed to improving the lives of Sangapians in the United States of America. Mm-hmm. And, and there wasn't a place we could send a check that was thinking already about where do you spend money on science to help kids with Sangap? And so it just became really clear that like why there wasn't a group in place mm-hmm. was a, se- a separate conversation. But the fact that we needed one was obvious. And so we created one. And that is was how we started the Syngap Research Fund. Kind of in year one, this way it's called the Syngap Research Fund. We just thought we would give money and raise mm-hmm. money and pay for science. And we started doing that and we still do that. But what we realized quickly is that the the families need help and need connection and and we need to have the patient data organized for studies. And so we Syngap Research Fund quickly went from being a philanthropic vehicle to being a patient advocacy organization. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what I do all day now. So yeah. getting that diagnosis was life-changing for all of us. Yeah. Well, I, I know that one of the first things that we did after receiving Nathan's diagnosis was, like you said, we were doing a lot of Googling, researching online, where, where the community is, where the tribe is. And so we, we were diagnosed in 2020 and we immediately found SRF and connected with both you and Peter, a number of other volunteers and parents. And that alone, just having access to people who get it, who've been there, who, who you don't have to explain anything to, you don't have to apologize for, you know, that is priceless. Just having access to that community of people is priceless. So thank you for, for having already set up that organization so that people like me didn't have to. <laughs> Appreciate that. You're welcome. You mentioned, um, you mentioned after having received a SYNGAP1 diagnosis for Tony that, you know, some, some therapies became available. What therapies have you noticed have helped the most in Tony? So we tell people with SYNGAP to get everything, speech, <laughs> occupational, physical, because our kids have gross motor, fine motor, and speaking difficulties. Mm-hmm. Um, but the therapy that has been, his favorite has been a horse therapy. And I, and I hesitate before I say that because not everyone has access to horse therapy. And even if you do have access to horse therapy, it's a pain in the ass and there's a wait list. And it's just, it's just always so freaking complicated. Right. I tell people it's yes, if you can find a horse therapy place, great. But if you can't find a horse therapy place, just find a friend with a horse and stick your kid on a horse that won't throw them off. Because yeah. just that act of connecting with another animal, mm-hmm. I think our kids love animals. Um, and going up and down that motion really activates the enteric nervous system, the gut, the, the tummy, mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, some speech therapists like to say what happens on the hips moves to the lips. Mm-hmm. So just when you when you wake up the body, you can wake up the brain. And and the, ho- the horse therapy has just been one of Tony's absolute favorite things. Yeah, that's great. I know um, I'm asking you all these questions, Mike, and you keep responding as SRF co-founder. Respond as Tony's dad, man. We want to hear like... I want to hear you. You don't often talk about yourself. And I know you, you like to be pretty reserved in that and be the face forward for everybody else. But we want to hear what, what helps with you and Tony. We know that everyone doesn't have the same access to resources yeah. and therapies yeah, and everything no, else. But the, the, ho- the horse therapy has been the horse therapy is, is far and away the best for Tony, I think. But anything one on one, right? Mm-hmm. Like just having um, a quiet environment where you can interact with one therapist is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely agree. So as part of your role at SRF within this community, you talk to a lot of families who are very newly diagnosed. Mm. What, what, what do you tell those families on day one? When they first reach out to you, what's the number one thing you tell them? Yeah, I feel like on day one, what I want to tell them is call me back in a week. 
Because <laughs> on day one, they're still in shock. Mm -hmm. And so we probably talk about too much. Yeah. Um, so the message I lead with is, is have hope. Like, I, I, I can't get into all the details. We don't have time. There's stuff I'm not even allowed to tell you about. Blah, blah, blah. But there's a lot of good work going on in science and in companies um, to find therapies for our kids. So don't believe what you might have been told when you were given this diagnosis, which is, sorry, it's a rare genetic disease. Almost no one has it. There's no therapies. Right. I mean, it's technically true, but it's very it's, it's, it's going to be outdated soon. So number one is have hope, right? Don't, don't give up. Number two is guess, get the best doctors you have. Like if you are in uh, um, just a normal part of America and you're not next to a major medical center, break out Google Maps, find the nearest medical center where they see kids and get on the list. Mm -hmm. It's easy when our kids are young, if you're dealing with a young one, to think, oh, they're not that bad. It's not, this isn't that bad. And to try to minimize it, right? Mm -hmm. But that's a mistake. This is a severe neurological disease and it progresses. And the sooner you get, um, the sooner you get really advanced care for your kid, you, you don't want to have to go find that doctor when things are bad. And unfortunately, right. as this disease, um, as time goes on and the symptoms of this disease grow, I don't want to say this disease progresses because it's not a progressive disease. It's not a degenerative right. disease. Our kids will not die of this disease, Correct. but the symptoms will keep coming. And Correct. they will grow with severity. And so I tell people, one, have hope and build a medical team now because mm -hmm. it's not always easy. And so, and, and once we get therapies into kids, we, we, we want a cure. Our mantra is cure Syngap, but, mm -hmm. but it won't, won't be 100% for all these kids. So we, we, need to, um, we need to build care uh, and support around them and around the family. And then it depends on how old they are, right? If I'm dealing with young kids, I say one thing, adults say something, I'm doing, older patients, I'm just listening to them because they've lived my future. Right. Um, I don't have much to tell them. They just didn't right. know it at the time. Yeah. So um, we have talked at length at, in, at various opportunities. You and I are both volunteering to help progress and hasten the, both the research and the funds and everything else to help cure everyone in this community. And we've talked about, you know, how, how more and more patients are older than kids. And we, we have um, Karen Lieb, who is our oldest known diagnosed Syngapian. She's 65 and she was diagnosed um, during COVID. Actually, she, she was living in uh, an assisted living nursing home. She was uh, she contracted COVID. They didn't think she was going to make it. She did make it. Um, so we have, we do have an older population, you know, growing older population of Syngap families. What do you want to know from, from people who have lived with a Syngapian and now they are adults? What do you want to know from experienced Syngap families? I want to know, we all want to, I think we all want to know the same thing. We all want to know the trajectory, right? Like, mm -hmm based on where I am now, what's it going to be like when puberty hits? And mm -hmm. then is he going to get bigger, stronger, harder or bigger, stronger, mellower? Um, like when, cause right now, if Tony were to pull a runner, open the front door and bolt to the street, I could tackle him and get him in. I might get hit a bit, mm -hmm. might take a kick. I might mm -hmm. broke a teeth, but I'd be able to contain him. Right. In five years, that won't be true. Right. Right. So, what does that look like? You know, like, how should I think about the future? And um, 
you know, I'm amazed at how many doctors Tony has today. I'm always curious. I'm always curious um, about. I, I lost my thought because something popped up on my screen. What was the question? Um, <laughs> what do you want to know from experience? So oh, you got families. <laughs> I'm always amazed at how many doctors I have and how many therapists I have. Yeah. And I kind of want to know, is, am I missing one? Like, right. is there someone, you know, is there some therapist or some kind of therapy that I'm not giving my son that I can or should? Is there some kind right. of doctor I should be talking to? Um, yeah. Hmm. All those questions. Yeah. yeah. And then it, it's, how are they preparing for the non-medical stuff? Right. There's a lot of, there's a lot of like life planning wills make, you know, God forbid you die young. Um, what happens to your kid? How are people preparing for that? It's very sensitive. It's very emotional. People don't like to mm -hmm. talk about it, but I really wish we talked about it more because we all have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree with you. I think that, you know, so many of us are so focused all the time on our sing up child as is, you know, immediate future, what we can see and plan for and realistically think about. But, you know, the, the more abstract those thoughts get, you know, what will happen when, what mm. if, what that, you know, it, it's also a big thing for me. I, I, I have found lately is that I want to be talking about mental health for our, our parents, our siblings of sing up kids. I think mental health is, is, probably something that I don't focus on enough. And I want to be thinking about that forefront sometimes. So that's, that's another one of those areas where you just don't know, you don't know how to, how to prepare for it, plan for however the next big setback is going to affect everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. Tell me, what do you think um, is your hardest day-to-day -day struggle, both just as a caregiver for Tony? What do you think Tony's biggest struggle is day-to-day? Those are good questions. My hardest struggle is not having a clue what any given day is going to look like. Um, so, you know, you, when you wake up, Tony can be in a good mood and be very happy to go downstairs and let you dress him and feed him and send him to school and pick him up and feed him and get him to his therapies and all that stuff and mm -hmm. put him to bed. Or he can be pissed off and angry all day long and throwing punches, or he can be a bit of both, right? He can be happy mm -hmm. and compliant, but then spontaneously aggressive. Um, um, so it's, it's just the hard part of Tony is like having enough emotional reserves to deal with the complete unpredictability of it. Um, you know, as you like to say, it's just relentless. Like you have to have your guard up all the time mm -hmm. because you're <laughs> at once protecting yourself from them and looking out for them and thinking, okay, I'm going to get them to school. And when I get to school, I need to have lunch and I need to have clothes and I need to have mm -hmm. diapers and I need to, you know, whatever other stuff you need to have. And it's just all the basic parenting stuff compounded by at any point in time, he could just jump in the car and be happy because he's watching YouTube or he could fight right. you every step of the way. And it's like a weightlifting competition to get him into the, into the car. Yeah. And then the question was, what's the hardest thing for Tony? Mm -hmm. I think the hardest thing for Tony is, um, whether it's someone at school or just chance or whatever, or just me, if somebody's, if somebody puts a demand on Tony that is greater than his available resources in that moment, mm -hmm. it's, he's, he's going to have a response. He's going to, and it's going to be stressful. And it happens to all, sometimes life mm -hmm. hits us with a lot and we just can't take it. Mm -hmm. um, I think for seeing, for, uh, you know, for us, that might happen every few months, every year, whatever. Um, I think for Tony, it happens a couple times a day. And I think yeah. 
you know, not knowing if it's going to be whatever, but if he didn't sleep well, or if his brain is having a seizure and somebody hits him with a demand or comes at him in a bad mood or mm-hmm. does something that isn't skillful, right? Because if you think about it, we, we cocoon our children and train therapists and professionals all day long. And then if they stumble out of that cocoon and have to deal with normal people and normal people assume that these kids are neurotypical kids and treat them as such, things can go south pretty quick. Right. Um, or if somebody forgets to give him a med, right? That's happened. Yeah. Oop, did anyone give Tony his, his lunchtime meds? Nope. No wonder he's acting out, right? Right. And so I think it's sort of the other side of my answer. Like for me, the hardest part of, of the day is managing the unpredictability of Tony. And probably mm-hmm. for Tony, the hardest part of the day is managing the unpredictability of what the world's going to throw at him. And if, mm-hmm. he, and, if the, and if we as his caregivers have given him enough support, both medically and logistically to ensure that he'll be able to get through the day without undue stress. Sorry, that was a little, that was a little esoteric, but I think it made my point. No, I mean, I think it makes complete sense. So it just happens that today we're dealing with Nathan has um, what he's threatening to be sick. He's trying to be sick. He's feeling a little bit hot, not, you know, his typical self. And it's like, mm-hmm. Every other child can tell you, my stomach hurts. I don't feel well. I'm tired. I want to lay in bed. I don't want to go to school today. You know, and and so how that presents with a lot of our kids, especially those who are nonverbal or barely verbal, it's like you basically are just flying blind. You know, you're trying to transition them through the day and assume that everything is all good, but then, you know, they they can't tell us some of their most basic needs right. and wants and feelings and everything else. So just like navigating that and knowing that transitions are a huge obstacle for them and for us and for you know the sanity of everybody in the room it is so hard to anticipate all that can happen and they can't tell us what's going on in their little bodies it's that it's very challenging um all right let's let's pivot slightly what what would you say makes your life a little bit easier how or how do you give yourself a break from being a constant caregiver of a Singapian who has significant challenges. So I, um, I used to teach a lot of yoga as a, as a hobby. Now I just teach a little yoga. Mm-hmm. It's um, by my standards, it's a pretty mediocre class these days, <laughs> but at least it's, it's sort of, you know, at least to go back to my glory days and, and remember when I used to be able to do these things. So um, if it's a mental health thing, it's like, it's, it's just me time, right? It's the, yeah. it's the trips to the chiropractor and the um, for self care and the, um, the teaching the yoga class once a week. And I mean, I firmly think most people should be in therapy. I definitely also get parents should be in therapy like myself included. So I'm in there, you know, so like therapy, mm-hmm. yoga, chiropractor, like those things are on my calendar. They're fixed. I don't mm-hmm. miss them. Um, and I wish I could say Ashley and I, my Ashley, not you, um, have a date once a week, but we don't, I mean, mm-hmm. she works crazy hours. I work a fair bit. And, um, sometimes we're just like, Hey, nice to see you here in our house. Let's pass out now. Right. Um, so it, it, there's just got to be some kind of self-care because this, you know, I've got your word stuck in my head now. It's relentless. It just never ends. And if you don't, if you don't take breaks and make sure you're filling the gas tank, you're going to run out. Yeah, you're exactly right. Tell me, what do you think is the coolest thing that's happened recently or the biggest success that Tony has had within the last year? There's so many good answers to that. I think, um, that's encouraging. I think academically, like he's, 
the numbers thing is really cool. Like this, this, you know, whatever they pick a show on, on Netflix and they obsess over it until they, they can be like, I want to see episode 14. And they actually have all of episode 14 in their head. It's great. Right. Um, but we went through this, like with Netflix, I mean, with, um, number blocks. Mm. And I was like, Oh yes. gosh, if I see another singing cube, I'm going to lose my mind. But <laughs> number blocks are pretty cool. I've come around and, and like, you know, Tony can now like, talk about numbers and you know two plus two is four or whatever and that's so that's kind of cool like he he's yeah. really numbers have really woken him up and he, we had a similar experience a couple of years ago for the brits there's these little white square books called mr men books uh-huh. um and they're not and and it's mr strong and mr happy and mr tickle and mr whatever but mm-hmm. like for a while he used those books as a proxy for ima- imagination uh, for oh, emotion yeah. And so that was interesting. So we just went through that with number blocks. And the other thing that I was really thrilled about is swimming. Like Tony can now, if I throw Tony in a pool, which I do whenever I can, literally pick him up and throw him in, um, he can now swim across. And I think that's important because, you know, the leading cause of, of death, one of the leading cause, I don't know if it's the, the leading cause, but a leading cause of death in kids with nonverbal kids with autism is drowning. They just can't mm-hmm. call for help. Yep. And so, um, it's important to me that my boys can swim, uh, especially Tony. And so we've been working hard on throwing him into the pool all the time. And now he's at the point where it's not pretty. I mean, his limbs are all over the place. There's a lot of splashing, um, but he can swim. And and that's a huge, that's a huge relief for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think anytime you can celebrate a win <laughs> in our community, we should, we should absolutely celebrate all of the wins because sometimes it seems like there are too few of them and too far between since the last time. So that's, that's really encouraging. Great to hear that Tony is swimming too. So that basically wraps up our, our chat today. I really appreciate Mike having you join me today. I've had a really, really wonderful time with you. I appreciate that very much. And to everybody else, we will send you a new episode in your feed as quickly as we can. Look forward to being with you again next time. And thank you all so much for being with us. Have a great day. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and like us wherever you're listening. For more information about today's guest and Syngap One, please check out our show notes. Your suggestions are welcome. Please email us at ed at syngapresearchfund.org. 